Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. What's happening, Hummer? It's another great day to be a Bearcat fan. Absolutely, sir, as it always is. Before we get started today, for all of our loyal listeners and subscribers, I wanted to ask you that please go to iTunes, go to Spotify, hit that follow button, hit the subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. It helps spread the word to Bearcat, Bearcat fans across the world that they, need, they too should be listening to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. It also helps mess with Google's algorithms and helps shoot us straight to the tops of the charts. So any help you can give us, greatly appreciated. We always want to be defeating algorithms. I'm all about that. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Now to the important stuff. Hummer, the California State Assembly passed a bill that will allow college athletes to be paid for the use of their name, likeness, and image. The Assembly voted 73-0 for the proposed law which would make it illegal for California universities to revoke an athlete's scholarship or eligibility for taking money. What's your first reaction to this bill? Uh, My first reaction is, all right, great. We're we're finding a way to, to pay players. They're trying to do it in what's not completely radical uh, in the sense that it doesn't seem like it's going to, it's not going to flood a ton of donation dollars into college athletics programs for the sake of paying players. But I do worry that it has an, in, it could have a potential impact on, on smaller schools, uh, smaller school, more importantly, schools in smaller media markets. You know, I think it's, it, it's a shift from NCAA sports moving into more of a professional style model for in terms of the athlete itself themselves, you know, taking the sense of this Cincinnati now, a less desirable spot to play in terms of spotlight, in terms of endorsement dollars that the athlete is potentially able to receive. Does that make schools that have been historically great but not recently great? Take UCLA for a, as a great example. Does that now make UCLA a better destination school? Does it make schools in, in San Francisco a better destination? Or you know what, what's really going to be the repercussions of something like this? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I also think it's it's the it's it's California taking their their classic let's get to it first and force other people's hands in in things. Um, but one of the interesting things that's actually also come about this is their proposal, believe it or not, is one of the most the least radical of all of them. There's a good proposal out there in 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 uh, New York, New York State, that seeks to do the same thing, but also carve out a 15 piece. 15% piece of the revenue and send that back to the schools as well. And if something like that passed, I definitely think schools like Cincinnati, you know, Dayton, Xavier, Ohio, well, maybe not Ohio State, <laughs> big brother up north. Uh, but they've, the already schools, the, they've already got the big bucks. Yeah, they already got Daddy Warbucks on their side. Uh, but I definitely think, you know, at least California is being, in this case, I guess maybe a little sensible. Uh, but I just I definitely see there being being some negative impact to smaller market schools. Right. And I think it's important to think about these types of laws from the perspective of a school like UC. We're in the American Athletic Conference. We're certainly not one of the, t- the biggest, you know, just markets of the United States. So it is going to impact us differently than it may a bigger university, one like UCLA, one like Kentucky, one like North Carolina. That said, 
with the way the NCAA currently operates and the amount of money in the sport, it makes all the sense in the world to me for us to find ways to get more money to the players than is currently done. Uh, the NCAA provides tuition, room and board, stipends, food. Most of this, however, is not cash payments. And at the end of the day, the TV deals and the money that's coming into these universities and NCAA for the sports based on the likeness of these players, largely from the likeness of these players, um, is astronomical. We're talking billions of dollars. And so there's definitely money out there to make sure we get to the players, the people who are actually providing the product that we all know and love. The California law is doing it in a way that keeps it out of the NCAA's pocketbook. So essentially they're saying, we, we hear the excuses that you can't find a way to pay the players. We're just telling you that the players now have the right to use their likeness to go make a buck on the side, and there's nothing that the uh, NCAA can do to, to de-incentivize them from doing that. I'm not as concerned about how it impacts UC. Cincinnati, we're not typically competing for the five-star recruits. We're not competing for the most marketable basketball players across the country. And despite that, we're still able to put, put up and put forth very competitive teams that on any given year could go on a magical run to the Final Four and make it with the big dogs. Those teams, the, the UCLA's, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kansas, they're already getting the five-star recruits. They're getting the top talent. They're always going to have the best chances of winning national championships, and that's proved out, proven out with how the Final Four has played out over the years. That's proved out with the championships that have been won. I still think we'll have the opportunity to compete but it still allows players that even come to UC can seek out those opportunities to make some dollars on the side for themselves. Yeah, I also just think that the other the other issue at large is is you know you are playing in in college sports and at at what point do you you know do you move this into that professional direction? You know you're going to have you know a great parities of of income in terms of. You know, I know in the NBA you have this too. The guy who sits on the bench isn't necessarily making as much as the LeBron Jameses of the world, you know, and that's also the star power they're bringing. But when you have the guy at the end of the bench who, in this case, is you know, more than likely a poor college student who's literally putting a Venmo sign up on game day asking for dollar donations to buy more beer, you know, <laughs> next to the guy who all of a sudden in college was able to make out of his four years you know, a million bucks to endorsements, but then it go, you know, never, never went to pro, never did anything after that. So you're going to have that huge parody. And when essentially they're doing, they're doing the same thing. They're, they're part of the same team. They're part of the same amateur atmosphere. I just think that's, it's a dangerous slope to go down when all of a sudden you're saying Zion Williams can go to Duke and probably make $33 million or $30 million in, in one year at Duke off of endorsements and then go into the NBA and, and do it again. You know where where's the cap? Where does it stop? And at what point does that 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 balance get so far out of whack? Why does it need to stop? You know why do we need to have a cap? If Zion Williamson, if the market bears that Zion Williamson can collect thirty three million dollars for a year at Duke, by all means, let the man make his money. Uh, those kids on the bench, the victory cigars of the world. Look, I love what they contribute to the program, but they're they aren't doing the same thing as the top players. They aren't the ones that are getting eyeballs on the television sets and on the streaming devices so that people are actually tuning into these games. The reason people are tuning into these games is the product on the court. And that, and the, you know, I would say in college basketball, coaches 
are much more of a personality than in the professional game. And people might be tuning in to see, you know, what, what Krzyzewski's doing at Duke, or what Self is doing at Kansas, what Calipari is doing at Kentucky. And for that, they're compensated millions of dollars. This shifts the pendulum a little bit to where players who are the ones who are putting the blood, sweat, and tears on the court, they're now able to use their name, their likeness, to go collect the check. So what, what's the market for the guy who's maybe not the last guy on the bench, not the one who's really just the walk-on or the one they put in just to get the cheers out of the crowd when you're up by 30? What about that guy who's the fifth guy on the court? What about that guy, because it's college athletics, maybe the market for a guy five, deep, five persons down at the bottom of that roster is, is all of a sudden left out in the cold too. He put the same blood, sweat, and tears into that program, but just because he's not the, you know, he's, he's not Zion Williams or, you know, like think about, uh, you know, Sean Kilpatrick and those teams and then like a Deion Dixon, you know, a guy like that who is still a major contributor to the teams, but then that guy gets left out in the cold. Sean Kilpatrick goes to reap millions. And now there's, there's just that, this that parody. Now it's no longer amateur athletics. It's, it's, a, it's professional. It's definitely heading in the direction of professional sports at that point. And I think a lot of people would say the sport might lose its quote-unquote charm. But, folks, the reality is there's billions of dollars in this. It is big business. It's not purely amateur, and that's why the coaches make upwards of 5 to $10 million a year. So let's just accept that fact. And those fourth, fifth starters who aren't as big of a deal, we're not talking millions of dollars for them, but we are talking about appearance fees that might allow them to get a couple thousand bucks here and there. And I don't think that's the end of the world. Chump change. <laughs> well, Hummer, I think it's an interesting conversation. We'll see what happens. Um, the law itself wouldn't actually go into effect until 2023. But let's face it, there's going to be lawsuit after lawsuit that comes after this. It's likely going to be delayed quite a bit. We're looking at 10 plus years before anything like this actually has a uh, tangible effect on the NCAA. But in the meantime, at least the government is putting pressure on the NCAA to do what, in my opinion, is the right thing. Maybe the NBA will just buy the NCAA basketball and, uh, and then just run it as a truly professional. <laughs> the G League, the G2 League. They have started investing more money in that, uh, in that minor league system, so we'll see. There's, at some point, there's going to be a, tr a true incentive there for players to go professional, though I would say the, the life of a G League player is a lot different than the life of a top scholarship athlete on campus. I think there's some uh, interesting, uh, interesting perks that come when being a, a scholarship athlete on a Division One campus. Yeah, I think there's two different ways to look at it. If you're going to the G League, you're going to go and try to develop your talent as fast as possible to get to the NBA. If you're if you're an NBA talent going to the NCAA, you're doing it to create press. You're doing it to create visibility because the G League, no one no, no one listens to the G League. No one hears about the G League. You only hear about it when you talk about it as as an alternative to college basketball. No one's going out to those games and, and filling out the arenas for the G League championship. You know, it's just that's just the reality of the world. So a guy like Zion does benefit from going to Duke for a year because all of a sudden his name's posted up on the poster boards and he's getting national exposure. So when he goes number one in that draft, he's expected to go and play in the NBA day one. So, you know, guys with exceptional talent are still incentivized to stick in college for a year before they move on. Yeah, Zion Williamson's a, a great case for the benefit a top-level athlete in basketball can have on their marketability and their earning dollars after after getting drafted. His profile uh, grew exponentially by attending Duke for a year, getting all that press on ESPN, being nationally televised day in, day out. He became the attraction in college basketball, and for that, he reaped the benefits of a massive contract with Jordan. So um, 
yeah, definitely benefits on the basketball side of things. But at the same time, um, there's no reason that Zion and others shouldn't be making money during that one year in college. Let's move on, though. There was some other big news this week in Bearcat land, and that is the official release of the 2019-2020 schedule. I love this time of year. This is when you really start getting into the hypotheticals of what's going to happen, how many games are we going to win, who are we going to beat, what are the challenging games, what's our seed going to look like. So when you looked at that schedule this week, any, uh, anything stand out to you? Well, the potential for a Nevada rematch, which we covered, which we covered last week, uh, does sound actually does sound intriguing. We covered that in depth last week, and I must say, uh, it's it's a nice chance at revenge, though it won't nearly do do us justice for what we experienced back in eighteen. Hey, could be for a championship still. Get some hardware. So, Humber, I personally love running through the schedule and i thought it could be a good chance for us to do that here very briefly and at the end of it we can go ahead and make a friendly wager and i'll let you decide what the wager is but we'll go ahead and make our predictions week of the schedule being released let's make our predictions for the final record for the regular season and whoever comes closest that'll be the person who uh wins the bet and then for next year we'll also know the podcast listeners will know who's the optimist and who's the realist on this podcast for some reason, I think I'm going to be the optimist here. But then when we get to the later segment, I think I'm going to be the, 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 the non-optimist. <laughs> <laughs> the, the glasses have full type. But I also think let's, let's run through all, each game real quick. Name the opponent. Name what you put down. Got it. Let's do it. So kicking things off, our first game of the year, non-exhibition. We are traveling up north to Columbus for a matchup with Ohio State on November 6th. Who do you have winning that game? All right, count of three. Let's go. One, two, three. Loss. Loss. We're on the same page here. <laughs> I, I want to put a win. I'd love to th- believe we're going to go up to Ohio State and get Would a victory. Would love to. Um, but the little I know, I haven't done all my scouting across all of our opponents. I do know they're ranked. I do know the coach has some good recruits coming in. And at Ohio State, this is going to be a game that's very challenging for John Brandon's first effort with the team. I definitely see us starting 0-1 here. That's my, my thoughts exactly. After that, we've got Drake at home. That's a dub. <laughs> nah. Are you sure? Positive about that? <laughs> Sorry, Drake. You get, you get zero respect on this list. Then in comes Alabama A&M, which I like to call the Mick Cronin special. That's another dub. That's, that's a victory cigar right there. <laughs> Wrap it up. We'll call that one a Cubano. The team then gets to take a vacation out to the Virgin Islands, where we face Illinois State. Another win. We've yeah, we're nice gonna th- we're gonna light that one up with the nice Dominican wrapper, uh, Dominican <laughs> stuffer with the with a Connecticut wrapper. We've got a nice three three game winning streak going on at this point. After that, we'll face the winner of Bowling Green in Western Kentucky. In what Why are we asking? I don't care. Game that's another <laughs> victory, four game winning streak for the Cats. And then is uh, November twenty fifth would be our potential showdown with the Nevada uh, Wolfpack which I'm who's the other, who's the other alternative in that is, is Nevada, the other, the other big, big names. Well, relatively big name school. They're not as big as Cincinnati. We all get that. Yeah, no, the other, the other potential team would actually be, um, it would likely be Valparaiso. That's the other team who could make some noise potentially, but the, the likely participant in that game would be Nevada. 
They lost Eric Musselman to the Razorbacks. I suspect they are not going to be the same team that we saw back in 2018. So Bearcats, after that, get to come back home to Fifth Third Arena for whoa, 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 whoa. What did, what did, what did we uh, What did we decide on that one? I, I'm, you're throwing the dub down? I'm throwing a dub down on Nevada, yeah. You know, I'm going to go the opposite against Young and throw the L down. Wow. I can already tell you're more realistic than myself or potentially <laughs> cynical. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call myself realist on Nevada. There's no way they're beating us in that game. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so we do, we do come back to Cincinnati at that point. We face UNLV. What did you have for that game? Dubs. We're going to bounce back from the unfortunate loss to Nevada with a strong showing at home. First, ro- first home game in uh, – that's going to be the first home game in almost two weeks. They're going to come out with a, with a nice showing and a W against UNLV. I agree. I agree. I've got us riding a five-game winning streak. All of a sudden, John Brandon is picking up some serious buzz in Cincinnati. We continue that by defeating UNLV. We follow that up with a victory again at Fifth Third Arena against Vermont. I'm yep. sure you agree with me there. Yep. Which takes us to the Skyline Chili Crosstown Shootout at the Cintas Center against Xavier. How are you feeling about that game? Not feeling great. <laughs> I'm right with you there. See, this is where I have the streak ending. It's um, tough. That's a tough one. I'd love to see. There, there's nothing I'd love more than to see John Brandon come in here and get a, a victory at the Cintas Center in year one. But the fact is, we have never won there. And this team that uh, Norwood University has is apparently pretty talented. The coach pulled in some, some pretty good recruits, but time will tell. But I'm not chalking this up to a victory. I'm also going to mark it down as a loss. And let's be, uh, let's be realists here on the podcast. Sorry, guys. I know that's probably not what you wanted to hear, but... Hey, I'd hey. love for the team. I'd love for the team to prove us wrong. There's nothing more than I'd love a win at Cintas Center. The John Brandon legend will truly be off to an amazing start. Um, but that's the prediction. The official podcast prediction is we're losing at Xavier this year. Good, good news is we're bouncing back at Fifth Third Arena against Colgate. We, we defeated the toothpaste. Yeah, we're going to brush our teeth. We're going <laughs> to grind them down. <laughs> this, isn't a, this isn't a comedy podcast, folks, but we try our best. Uh, we, do, we do play Tennessee after that. What do you have, go, have going on in the Tennessee game? Dubs. Dubs. Same. There's no way Same. Tennessee's coming in the fifth third and pulling off an upset. Not much to see here. They lost their top two players last year. Actually, I think their top three players. Grant Williams is now in the NBA with the Celtics. Admiral Schofield, same thing. I'm not sure which team, um, but we're going we're gonna to beat Tennessee. Rick Barnes is going to regret not taking that UCLA job. And then another rematch special. We go to Chicago and play Iowa. This was a 50-50 game for me. I wasn't sure how I, want, how I was going to go with this game. I, I went the uh, I went the direction of the L. We went we went lefty. So this is where I got hyper optimistic, and I I want to see us win this game. Um, obviously, we we played them last year. I think they had a lot of seniors. It was it was a very experienced team. You know what you're going to get with Iowa. They're no without a doubt. They're going to have a lot of shooters. There's going to be ball movement, but I think we're going to have more offensive firepower this year to match them. And I think we're gonna we're gonna get the job done in Chicago. That's a good point. I think it does depend on how so you know how this team gels offensively this year. And like you said, we haven't got a chance to see any scouting. Midnight Madness is around the corner, but it's not here yet. So we got we haven't had to hear how much these players bench yet. So you know, 
It's hard to see how tough this team's going to be against against a, a pretty tough opponent in Iowa. You know what I'd love John Brandon to be bragging about during Midnight Madness is free throw percentage, shooting percentage on open looks. That's what I'd love to hear Brandon bragging about this year. Coomer wants to see John Brandon with some like big thick glasses on, with his clipboard out, just doing like calculations, like like all you're hearing is ninety ninety eight point three percent free throw shooter, averages nine point five assists per game. I'm a sucker for nerds. What can I say? So at that point. Uh, we kick off the new year January 1st with conference play. We play UConn at home. UConn, as we all know, is leaving the conference. Uh, we're not losing to UConn. So this we're, is where we're I get so excited. Yes, these are the games we love. This, this is where the rivalry time starts. And uh, we're going we're gonna to defeat UConn without a doubt. Then we move down south. We're going to Tulane. Come on. Tulane. I'm, this is where I get optimistic, all right? Coomer might have been the pessimist before, but I'm getting optimistic here. It's conference play, baby, and our conference is not that good. And let's correct the record. You, sir, are the pessimist so far. You have us losing to Iowa, Nevada. I, I, do you have us winning any games? Uh, after, after a trip down south, we go out to Oklahoma. Sorry, we come back to Cincinnati where we play Tulsa at home. Dubs. That's a, that's a victory. Back down to Florida, uh, where we play UCF. Taco Fallas, dubs. No, no more taco. <laughs> play the victory bells. That's another victory this year. And then we get a wake-up call. We, uh, we head to Memphis, where we play. Uh, Not a good the, call, guys. <laughs> the 2020 NBA All-Stars. And uh, we, we take an L. We take an L in Memphis. Big L. On a, a we're on, we're in agreement there. It's a tough place to play. That's going to be a tough team to beat home or away, and I don't see us doing it in Memphis. But a nice rebound game, Eastern Carolina. We did lose to them on their turf last year, but if my... Sleepers. Sleepers. Ooh, I can't wait to get in that during our conference previews. Well, what I mean by sleeper is they're that, they're that trap game. They're that game you go into and you're like, oh, I'm going to win this, and they end up beating you because you fall asleep at the wheel. I agree yeah. with you. Unless it's a home game, it's not a sleeper when they're home. We're going to crush them at our on our home court. Then we travel to your neck of the woods, Hummer. January twenty second at Temple. Always, always January. Always the last week in January we play Temple. Why can't we do it the first week of February, the third week of January? I'm always out of town. Uh, I hate to hear that because I'm ready to head out to Philadelphia and catch that one. Bummer. If if, uh, if Are, I'm in town, we'll uh, you'll be the first to know. Do we win that game? Fuck yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. Back home, SMU. That's a victory. I'm, I'm basically chalking up. Home. We're going to have a home court advantage this year. I mean, People are going to be excited. We're going to we win. Can We're going to win basically, We could basically skip through this list all the way down to the next time we play Memphis, even at home. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not optimistic about beating them at home. Uh, I will actually throw one game in there that I think is going to be tough. I really respect Greg Marshall. I love how, how he coaches. He's going to have a nice bounce back year. And at Wichita State, I actually chalk up as an L. I see I'm us ch- taking a loss at Wichita this year. I'm, I'm disagreeing. That's my birthday day. Uh, the cats are going to bring one home on my cake day. Uh, yeah, no, not agreeing with you there. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, at UConn, like I said, we're never use, losing to UConn again. John, John Cos is coming out that game. We're going to bring out John Cos. Home to Memphis. 
that is going to be a loss. Yes, I, I put that one down as a loss. I know. I think it's it's going to be tough. It's 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 look like you said twenty twenty all stars. <laughs> yeah, I I don't until I I mean I know it's going to be tough to gel a bunch of freshmen and you never know what you're going to get. But look, they are loaded and immensely talented. I think I like us more as a tournament team with the experienced guards. But during the regular season, uh, I just think they're going to be a lot to deal with. So I'm going to go ahead and chalk us up, uh, have us losing twice to Memphis this year. Then we go back to Eastern Carolina, another victory. UCF at home, victory. Home to Wichita, victory. And we close the season with at Houston, at UCF, home to Temple. Do you see us losing any of those games? At Houston. At Houston. Wow. This is just a respect for Kevin, Kelvin Sampson? Yep. A little bit of respect there. Got to, And just respect for the, the Houston program at home. It's always a tough pe- place to play. Yeah, I, I do respect Kelvin Sampson. It's definitely not going to be easy going out there. I do know he also lost a ton of players this year. They were... They had a lot of experienced guards. Eric Davis, uh, Eric Davis, the point guard was a stud. A couple big men. I mean, they they lost a haul, and I'm not sure they replenished it in the same way that old John Brandon did. So I've got us winning that game. What does that take your final record to, Hummer? Twenty three and seven for the regular season. A solid year. A solid year. It takes mine with losses at Ohio State, at Xavier, at Memphis at Wichita State and home to Memphis our record's going to be 25 and 5 Mr. Optimist So I told you you got to decide on the uh the bet is there a bet that you have in mind for this All right so let's let's talk this through a little bit Everybody listening to this podcast I'm guaranteeing they listen to the to the to the radio I guarantee you they listen to Dan Horde everybody loves Dan Horde great 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 voice of the Bearcats him and Chuck do the struggle for the stake. Every game, they guess how what the score of the game's going to be. Whoever is closest, they get a point. At the end, they tally up all the points, and whoever has the most points has to serve the other person a steak dinner. So we can't obviously copy off that, but we could copy off that. <laughs> <laughs> but we can. We could just copy <laughs> off Dan Hort. Dan Hort, we love you, but we're copying you. Um, so, I mean, we could, we could fight for the Philly cheesesteak. Ooh. For you guys don't know, I'm, I'm located in Philadelphia. I moved after college, originally from Cincinnati, but I had to move for, for work purposes. And so I catch all the Bearcats games on television, or when I'm in town, I make a special trip out to Fifth Third Arena. Or if I'm also home, I, I, I travel down to the, uh, the Livacious Center or Livacious Center, however heck Temple wants to pronounce their arena, uh, and catch catch some games there, but yeah, the struggle for the cheesesteak in the uh, I, I'm a big Maybe. fan of Camp Washington chili or Blue Ash chili. Okay, so I think the bet is this: if you win the bet, I'm coming out to Philadelphia and I'm treating you to a Philly cheesesteak. If I win the bet, you're coming back to Cincinnati, and I treat you to some Camp Washington chili. Beautiful. High, easy high stakes there, gentlemen. High stakes. <laughs> high, high stakes. But this does lead us to our next topic cover. This week, Andy Katz, the esteemed Andy Katz of CBS Sports and, and NCAA March Madness, he released his first bracket in September. And it's interesting. 
he has UC as a 10 seed in his initial in his initial NCAA tournament bracket. How do you feel about a 10 seed? Uh, I'm not upset by it. <laughs> not no, as so it, so is it a is it a matter of you just you want to see us make the tournament this year? I do just want to see us make the tournament. I don't think we're going to be in those first four teams in. If if anybody's is if anybody's doing that to us, I think that's a disservice. Um, but just you know, taking a, a quick look at some of the teams that he has in the in the brackets of, of who we're being kind of compared with, and if we think about there's 64 teams, if he put us in 10, you know that does put us inside the top 40. I, I think this is a top 25 team, however, so it could be a little low. But I mean, let, let's see, he has. His handwriting is atrocious, by the way. If anybody's actually trying to read this thing. <laughs> like, come on, Andy Katz. We love you. We know Bor- Nick Boroff sucks, but please, so does your handwriting. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking at Western Kentucky's an 11 seed. Oh, that's who he has us in the same breath with. Uh, but Houston as a 9 seed. Uh, I think Memphis was the highest from our conference that he had, and he had them at a, I believe, a, a three. A three. A three seed. At a three seed, which I – that. If they win the conference and they do well, I think that's a little low. Could be a little low for them. I think the winner of, of our conference definitely deserves a one seed. <laughs> no, because what I found I found funny about that is we never got the respect when winning the conference. You know, we sit, we went on a great run at the end of the year, won the conference tournament, and yet got a seven seed last year. I'll be honest. If we're a ten seed, I'm disappointed. And the reason I say that is I know we lost some big men. I know our, our big man rotation is what's up in, up for question, in my opinion. That's where our potential Achilles heel is. But our guard rotation has been solidified. We're bringing back a senior Jaron Cumberland, who was the player of the year in our conference last year, and we're pairing him with Javin Cumberland, a much improved three-point shooter than what we had last year, as well as Chris McNeil, Zach Harvey, and improved Keith Williams. Our wings and our guards are going to be the strength of this team. So I look at it as we should be a very frisky NCAA tournament team. Did you mention Trey Scott in that in that in that uh, returning I player? Well, there? I was I was referring specifically to the the guards, our guard rotation being strong. But you're right, Trey Scott is kind of the make or break. He's got to run a lot of center this year, and he can do it. He can guard a lot of positions. He switches well. He has a nice touch from the outside. But beyond you- Trey Scott, who do you trust? Which did big you man know, do you trust did you right know, now? Do you know Trey Scott was 14th in the league with field goal percentage? I believe it, but who, after Trey Scott, which big man do you trust? Mm, not a whole lot. Right. Um, it's just it's unproven commodities. I'm not saying they Trevor, can't do it. Trevor Moore decreased last year. He, he, was, pretty much, he was pretty much trash. Uh, he was a waste of floor space. Easy. Uh, easy on my guy, Trey Moore. Hey. All hey, I can say under, is he regressed. He regressed. A, a more free-flowing offense. The hope is that he fi- he refines that shooting touch. I think the guy could bounce back this year, but he's not going to have a huge role because, like I said, our guard rotation is deep. But if you look, if you're talking about big men, we have Trey Scott, and then we're counting on Diara. We're counting on who also Prince. regressed last. Well, yeah, he technically regressed last year. I know, but in very inconsistent and small minutes, it's hard. It's too small of a sample size to truly say that. Six minutes a that. game, isn't it? It's not. It's not a all lot. My to go off is, of. All my point is, all my point is, is that that is clearly where our potential Achilles heel is, unless we get some dramatic step ups 
step ups from our uh, from our younger guys who are taking on bigger roles this year with the departure of Brooks, uh, Brooks and Sisemi. Well, it's funny that you mentioned it. So a 10 seed, yes, it does put, like, he, it, it shows that you, they have you in the top 40, but I actually do believe by the end of the season we should be, if our projections <laughs> pan out, we should easily be a top 25 team this year and a sneaky one in that matter. I wouldn't call us a dark horse to win the tournament by any means. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talent out there. Uh, but, yeah, I, more than I'm thinking about it, I think, <laughs> I think a 6 or a 5 or a 6 seed is is really what I'd hope for. Yeah, I agree. If we're twenty three and seven, like what you're predicting, I think uh, you know eight to ten is probably more realistic. If we achieve what I'm hoping, which is a twenty five and five record, with a probably first or second finish in the conference, I don't see any reason that we should be lower than a, like a five seed. Yeah, I agree. And if we get a five seed, that's that's right in striking distance of going on a run, getting to the second weekend, and putting all of our past demons behind us. God, if we could do that in the first year under John Brannon. <laughs> the legend begins. God, we'll put a statue out front of, we'll put a statue year one out front of fifth, third for him. <laughs> get us fast, get us past the Sweet 16, get us to the elite, our first Elite Eight, and God, since what? We'll see. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of moving parts. We're doing a lot of speculation on what our rotation is going to be, what the players are going to look like, but it feels good having the reigning AAC player of the year returning. And if in Jaron we trust, he's going to take us far. So a nice rundown of the schedule. And Hummer, it's that time where we're going to make a tribute to a former Bearcat. But this week, and this week only, a special tribute. Sir, the floor is yours. So if you guys are living in Cincinnati or are Cincinnati fans for our Australia listeners, for Alaska listeners, uh, we have a legend in Cincinnati who is retiring. His name is Marty Brenneman, 41 years at the microphone, 41 years of summers, 41 years of just fantastic coverage of Cincinnati Reds baseball comes to a conclusion on Thursday, September 26th. At 12.35 will be the first pitch. So I'm dedicating this one to Mr. Marty Brenneman. You will be able to find me in New York City with one of my lifelong friends, Cameron Papp, drinking cigars and bourbon while we we send Marty off to the great beyond. Marty Brenneman, Cincinnati legend, well-deserving tribute to him. It's going to be tough saying goodbye, and it certainly won't sound the same next year and beyond. But to Marty... We love Marty. you, and thank you for your years of service for the Cincinnati Reds. Now let's just pray that Dan Horde doesn't retire anytime soon. Cheers to Marty Brenneman, and cheers to Dan Horde.